Hello, my name is Ryan Broderick, and you're listening to The Content Minds, and I just had a fantastic, uh, like, roasted cauliflower. Okay. Yeah, it was What like, was on your roasted cauliflower? I'm not sure. It was uh, from a Lebanese place, and it came with, you know, hummuses and baba ganoush and other things, and I wasn't expecting much of the cauliflower, and I took a bite of it, and I was like, wow, I could eat this every day for the rest of my life. It was unbelievable. Top five cauliflowers of my life. I mean, I had some delicious cauliflower the other day, which was, uh, hi, sorry, I'm Luke. I'm also going to talk about cauliflower uh, <laughs> on this, the, the cauliflower hour. Um, cauliflower minds. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was, yeah, just normal cauliflower cheese, which is great. And a what dish is ca- that I can't believe. What is cauliflower America cheese? doesn't really have it. Yeah, yeah. What is that? So it's, it's like cheese sauce and cauliflower. It's just whole cauliflowers or like chopped up fine cauliflower? Chopped cauliflower. You never had cauliflower cheese when you were here? Uh, you must have been in a, in a in a pub and had a roast at some point and had cauliflower cheese. Wait, it's served with a roast? Yeah. So it's just like cheesy. It's like cheesy potatoes, but with cauliflower instead. Yeah. I've never heard of this before. And I lived with you for many years. I have been I to not many ro- pubs. I, I did not cook roasts when I lived with you. No, but we ate roasts a lot. That's true. We had a ranking of best roasts in London that we argued over many times, and this never came up. It's remarkable to me. Hi, welcome to the Content Minds. This week we're going to be talking about hate clicks. It's a very, very old thing, but it does feel like the genre, the the nature, the like, the 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 essence of the hate click has evolved considerably over the last six months. And we've touched on this here and there, but this week we're really going to dive into it. I mean, specifically, I want to talk about why hate clicks aren't real. So, oh, interesting. I'm going to talk about how they actually count as a form of financial domination and that these are all just men (laughs) acting out their fetish in public. But before we get to that, Luke, how was the internet this week? Um, uh, stretched. Interesting. It feels like, it feels like there's an awful lot of, uh, energy and not a lot of content. I mean, I'll be honest, this is the week after 4th of July in the US, so my internet is empty and strange. I mean, my internet has, is, is drunk because the England are in a, in a international com- semifinal. Oh, are you guys doing well on that? Yeah, two games and then, and then, and then winning, winning the, the, the European championships. Do you think you're going to win? Because remember, hope is the killer. I reckon we've got about a one in three chance. So I this is a perfect this is a perfect segue into the first bit of business this week, which is that uh, user Lethal Sponge in the Garbage Day Discord in the Content Minds room sent me a meme that I'm going to send you right now. But for our audio listeners, I'll describe it to you. It is a bird saying "Woo, July 4th," and then before it can say Independence Day, another bird interrupts it, <laughs> and that bird is labeled with a British flag, and it says "Football's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. Football's coming home." <laughs> That's a good meme. <laughs> and I was told that this would be this would be this week's episode. So I, I should be I should be honest though. Like I don't give a shit about Fourth of July. 
it is a subpar Thanksgiving, as far as I'm concerned. Right. That's because you're an Anglophile and secretly want to be British. No, I just think that like if Fourth of July doesn't really succeed as a summer holiday. It's not as good as Memorial Day or Labor Day, in my opinion. And it doesn't really succeed as a food holiday because it's not nearly as food centric as something like Thanksgiving. Nor is it a particularly good drunken debaucherous holiday like Halloween because there's no costumes. There's no real like uh, sense of camp is what I'm saying. So in my okay. opinion, Fourth of July is kind of like the leftovers. It's it's the scraps of American holidays. See, this mostly highlights to me how br- the UK doesn't have many good holidays. Like it has Christmas. Well, no, everyone else's holiday of independence is because of you guys. So that that's why you can't sure, have this. Sure. You, you don't get to have this. But we also don't have a good Halloween. No, you have possibly one of the worst Halloweens in the world. I've spent Halloween in a couple different countries, and I would say the UK is by far the worst. I would almost prefer if you didn't dress, like you guys half dress up in such a horrible way that I'd rather you just yes. didn't dress up at all. It's super grim. It's like really unpleasant. Like at least in like Latin America, South America, there is no like attempt at a Halloween because they have other stuff. Yeah. Where you guys, you like dress up in like uh, like fancy dress clothing and then you just put like zombie makeup on or something. It's awful. Yeah, it's, that's it's pretty ge- much it. Yeah. It's genuinely unpleasant to be around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was why you wore your like pumpkin suit to the pub once. And Yeah, it was awful. Because I, I love Halloween because yeah. Halloween is basically just like goth Comic-Con for a whole day it's perfect and then we have another weird holiday right next to it where we burn the effigy of a catholic okay see i like that holiday i enjoy fireworks night i think that's a good night yeah. bonfire night bonfire night well it used to be guy fawkes night v for vendetta day yeah v for vendetta day it's when you guys celebrate the movie v for vendetta <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh luke do you want to see a really funny crypto thing i've been really dying to show you i do i do okay okay are you ready for this uh can you read this out loud for our audience please Describe it and then read it out loud. Oh, fucking hell. Okay, Okay, so this is why this was trending today, because I was not paying attention. Okay. (laughs) Polygon, which is a the internet Ethereum's internet of blockchains, which aims to transform Ethereum into a multi-chain ecosystem that secured layer two chains and standalone chains. Jesus Christ. Okay. You understand what that is, I'm sure. Now to read the tweet. Nonce Finance is building on Polygon. <laughs> With Polygon, NFTs will be able to increase the liquidity of their NFTs by utilizing Nonce's fractionalization <laughs> protocol that creates a seamless bridge between the NFT and ERC20 world. Learn more. Nonce Finance. <laughs> okay, so can oh, you explain God. to our American audience why that is so funny? <laughs> Wait, hold on. I have, I have a clip that I need to show first. There was a very famous a uh, 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 TV show from a few years ago called Brass Eye. Um, basically, they did a, a a parody about essentially the I, I don't want to say the moral panic because that's not quite what I mean. Uh, the amount of pedophiles in your country. Well, okay. Wait. First, uh, explain what a nonce is. A nonce is a pedophile. Okay. A nonce is, a, is is yeah is a pedophile. Uh, and there was yeah there was this iconic TV show uh, Brass Eye where which basically parodied the idea that. There was an awful lot of fear mongering going on. That's probably the best way to put it. Like pedophiles were real, but there was also like a vast quantity of fear mongering. <laughs> like there were just like wild headlines that said, you know, one in ten people is a pedophile, and it's like, well, that doesn't seem correct. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and this show parodied them, which which culminated in the uh, uh, them <laughs> going to a lot of celebrities, giving them extremely spurious claims, such as the idea that. Uh, pedophiles could re- make 
the keyboards. When children were using the internet, they could make the keyboards release a chemical that made a smell that made the child more suggestible and got celebrities to smell the keyboard and go, wow, yeah, no, I do actually, yeah, I really feel more suggestible now. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it was it was astonishing. And they had, they had like multiple MPs in it. Everyone got very mad. Uh, and then everyone like did not, a bunch, like half people were mad at it because they were made fun of. Half of it were mad at it. People were mad at it about it because they thought it was promoting pedophilia and it was just it was like a full-on like it was like 2001 and it was a full-on british fuck up in terms of everything everyone was yelling at each other before twitter oh, okay it was, it was great it was wonderful um but yeah it, it that culminated in them saying this whole thing about nonsense so the fact that an ethereum company has never managed to team up with someone a company named nonce finance is is Brilliant. And yeah, I saw nonce trending at some point today, and I was like, I assume someone's being called a nonce. Fine. And I did not expect that. <laughs> I was going to say, once a week, I would imagine that, you know, the word nonce would trend in the UK. Okay, apparently, sorry, I've just realized that nonce finance has apparently renamed itself. Oh, really? Yeah. Already? Yeah, it's saying that it's it's no longer going to, I, I, as far as I can tell... Lesson learned. Next time, we'll look at British meaning of words too. Thanks for the memes. Wow, I hadn't I hadn't checked it before this week's episode. That's fantastic. I mean, I'm I'm glad that you know <laughs> they learned their lesson <laughs> extremely quickly. So I'm becoming kind of like lightly obsessed with a, a thing that is. It feels like a very 2000s. Well, 2000s. It can't be 2000s, but a very like early Twitter thing coming back, which is that, but in a more cynical way obviously, uh, which is kind of this single-serving, single-topic Twitter accounts. And it's become yes. a thing in the UK where there are loads of them that are called, like, uh, UK Without Context or just a random TV show without context. And they've been doing the TV shows without context for a while. Oh, that's it. No Context Brits, is it? Um, which, yeah, joined April 2021. Uh, so, yeah, two months ago. Uh, and this main account now has 250,000 followers. Wow. And all it's doing is taking basically well-known, well-known British memes from five years ago and just reposting them, often with the the same exact like quote on them that they originally went viral with, which is kind of amazing. That is really interesting, and it's interesting how different it is from so. In America, we're having the same phenomenon, which is like single-purpose Twitter accounts, and they call themselves gimmick accounts. Like that's sort of like the name that people are using. We used to, right. like when we were in our twenties in America, like we would call them novelty accounts. But now they're calling themselves gimmick accounts. Same idea, and they're they're more interested in cataloging types of people, so they kind of feel more like subreddits. So it's like women posting L's, men posting W, coping MAGA tweets, parlor watch. Like they're all. And they all kind of appeared around the end of 2020, early 2021, and they just sort of like find a specific kind of Twitter user and then document that over and over and over again with screenshots. Yeah, exactly. Though also an awful lot of it is from specific subreddits. Yes. I sort of think it's like this connective tissue between Twitter and, and, and Reddit. Like that's what's happening, I think. But because an awful lot of people on Twitter just don't use Reddit or are, I don't say young enough. Uh, <laughs> but don't remember the first time round of this stuff. And some of this stuff was on its 10th or or 20th or 30th time round. I'm just scrolling down now, and I've come across the uh, chicken tikka Yorkshire pudding from Iceland, which feels like a practically fossilized meme. 
I remember when that happened. Basically, there's like a whole genre of like cursed supermarket food photos that go viral yeah. in the UK a lot. And this was one of them. Exactly. And the original was was years ago. I think it was actually, I'm checking it out, it was 2014. So that is a seven-year-old meme, basically, a seven-year-old photo. Uh, yeah, and they're just running for it uh, and finding all these old things and conversations. That I was like, yeah, this did happen like four years ago. And um, yeah, they're doing well out of it. They're gaining an awful lot of success out of it, although a lot of people who did the original tweets are quite annoyed at them understandably the kids running those accounts will eventually become like extremely powerful like media brokers in about two years yes yeah almost definitely that's how this works yeah yeah it's absolutely fascinating uh particularly because some of it is like bluntly there is kind of specific visual aesthetic that exists at the moment which is everyone's wearing masks and all of this stuff is clearly years old because there's a load of people inside not wearing masks yeah that's true it is it is quite strange to see, like, like, we know this isn't real. Everyone, it's very obvious this isn't real, and yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It, it's it's also strange how, like, f- probably seven years ago, Twitter, Tumblr, and Reddit all connected, and there was sort of like a content cycle between the three websites, and then yeah. during the Trump administration, and kind of like in other countries during that same time period of the last five years, that kind of broke up, and Twitter became this singular place, and like... Reddit was really only ever in the mix because people were talking about Nazis on there. And then now it's sort of switched back. And now we're seeing the same thing. We're like, I will see a Twitter main character and a screenshot of that Twitter main character will be in the trending section of my Tumblr dashboard. They will be at the top of my Reddit recommendations and they will be screenshot and in like my tweet deck feed. And it's like, that is a that that hasn't happened in a long time. That that it's sort of almost been about seven years, I would say, since that happened last time. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'd agree. It's certainly really weird, and uh, yeah, it's weird, but it's also it's it's fascinating that it's just it's come back like this. I assume it's come back because actually I don't know why it would come back. Like, what is the what is the force behind that? Is it like what causes that? I don't know. I think maybe. <sighs> I partly think that it could be the evolution of quote tweeting. Uh, like I think quote tweeting has become such a big thing that you now see a lot more of it often than you do retweets. So it becomes a lot easier to get pickup because people will dunk on it. And so a lot of this stuff is kind of the 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 dunks that are doing well. I actually, I'm, okay. So I'm glad you brought this up because I've I've been sitting on this take for a little while now, and I feel like it's nice and cooked and ready to come out of the oven. <laughs> When Twitter restricted replies and they like sort of turned down the volume on replies, I think they inadvertently created a really toxic dunking culture through quote tweets. And you can kind of see this in the language that people talk about bad tweets, which we'll be getting into further in today's episode. But it used to be like, oh, check out the ratio. It's 6,000 replies versus two retweets. Now it's like, oh, it's 4,000 quote tweets versus 500 retweets. And I feel like that was an absolute fluke of Twitter's extremely stupid product rollout. Like they caused that and it has now spread like across the internet. So now we're just like in dunk world. Yeah. And I think as a result, you know, they the misses are still pretty solid because they still get a bit of dunk action. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of like, yeah, the engagement as a result is it's basically... They've moved it from positive engagement, helping something, to positive negative engagement, basically having the same impact. Yes. So a lot of this stuff is picking up a lot more. 
I, I would totally agree. And it's, I mean, it's sort of contributed to a culture where like Twitter is more fun when I'm looking at bad stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that means we probably need to go to this week's big topic because we're going to be getting into this and a lot more stuff. So let's talk about hate clicks. So, Luke, when you said hate clicks don't exist, what the hell were you talking about? <laughs> okay, hate clicks exist. <laughs> okay, because I hate click all the time. I would say hate clicking is now my predominant mode of clicking, which does not make me happy, but it does like give me a perverse no. thrill. No, I think I think hate. I should be probably a bit more specific about that. Hate clicks do exist, obviously. I think that the main thing that bugs me is the slightly smug slightly smug incredibly smug approach to basically people seeing content they don't like and saying they're doing this for hate clicks which is almost never the case oh so you're saying there's no such thing as like writing a bad faith take for traffic no like so for <laughs> example the piece that went up on business society the other week the grilling is bad piece yes i'm familiar i i got yelled at by its author um, I was one of the only people actually he got mad at, but I shared a meme about it and apparently he didn't like that. But people were very upset about that piece. Yeah. And I, as someone who has written their fair share of uh, hit the food that you like is bad pieces, they do inspire some anger. But I don't think that they are hate. They Those are not pieces that are written in order to garner hate clicks. They're basically written kind of as a conversation thing, which is a, a, a gently different thing. Um, and you can also tell that they're, generally written about things that are are not important like they have written about uh, uh yeah food you food or football teams or whatever it might be but stuff that basically un- ultimately doesn't matter then there is another group of pieces which is the one that most people refer to as kind of the these are written for hate clicks which are columns by people they don't like uh posts about things they disagree with uh all this sort of stuff. And where this makes me sound very reactionary, but mostly when people write, you know, columns spousing right-wing ideas or whatever, they're writing them because an awful lot of people are right-wing, not because a small number of people are going to get mad at them for being right-wing. Okay, and so that's I feel- kind of the thing that really bugs me. Okay, so I feel like you're there's a there's a couple things you're conflating all at once here. Yeah. So, cuz we we do sort of have to be like there is a line between being like grilling is bad is a different thing than being like the white race is the only important race right and like these things are not connected but okay also well there's a third one in the middle there where it's like uh actually millennials don't need houses okay (laughs) Okay. right so the the kind you see the kind of the three things there (laughs) i think what you're just describing is just like columnists you're just talking about like (laughs) columnists well this is this is the thing that i see this take most often it's like people only click on this person's stuff because they write things that everyone hates and it's like no no, you hate them most people who read it like them because most people are not like you and whether that's right or wrong is a different thing so so first let me let me say that like when i moved to the uk in 2015 america at least at the time didn't totally have a culture of like violently dunking on colonists. Sure. At the time, we were sort of like recovering from the Gawker era, which I've talked to Rusty Foster, the author of Today and Tabs, a bunch about. And it was sort of this like 
peak thought catalog era where like every young person on the internet was paid like absolute fuck all and told to just churn <laughs> out the worst ideas humanly possible for like traffic. And that was what was yeah. happening. It was like the age of like the personal essay industrial complex. It was kind of it was kind of pre algorithm, which had a big part to do with it. It was like if you could hire enough twenty two year olds to crank out as many insane ideas as humanly possible then you could get enough ad revenue to like survive the next month and like make it up to your venture capital uh, uh, valuation. Then I got to the UK and you guys had a very different culture where there's basically like a very specific kind of middle-class white person who's paid an extremely comfortable salary to write the most asinine nonsense humanly possible (laughs) in a paper. And it's sort of this idea of like punching up at them. But we didn't really have that in America. Because got because the age of Gawker was kind of mean and it wasn't punching down but it wasn't really punching up it was just sort of like melee attacking diagonally in parallel. Sure. But then over the course of the Trump administration and thanks to like things like Chapo Trap House and a bunch of like kind of political awakenings happening in America, the like the new emergent left I think learned a lot from the UK and started our own culture of that and so now we have that we have the like I'm gonna tell Chris Saliza from CNN to eat my ass bitch on Twitter. You know, like we have that idea, which we it really wasn't that popular 10 years ago. Yeah, so I think what's really interesting about that though is that there's kind of two halves of it. Part of it is yelling at people because they're wrong, which is fine. Like I don't abuse people, but if you're going to yell at people because they're wrong, like Twitter's not a bad place to do it. <laughs> sure, it's mostly people yelling at each other because they're wrong. Except for us. We are please don't do that to us because we are We've sensitive. never been wrong. I've, and I am seven. I am seven, and I, yeah. I am often wrong, but I'm extremely sensitive to criticism, and I want to make that very yeah. clear. I am. I am always right. I'm not very sensitive to criticism. Uh, but yeah, so the there is that kind of thing of being like you're wrong, you're anything. But an awful lot of the other thing, which I think is more annoying to me personally, this is just me selling a personal beef of mine, is that people are like, don't engage with it because they're just trying to make you engage with it. That's the whole strategy. And it's kind of not. So you're oh okay. So what you're saying is that like most of the bad stuff that you see being churned out by like columnists with over a hundred thousand followers on Twitter isn't actually bait. Those people actually believe that insane thing that they just yes. published. Yes. Now they probably believe it eighty-five percent, and the other fifteen percent is to give it a you know sparky headline, like you know, and then you gotta you gotta move it. You gotta move it to the right level. You know, you can't you can't just 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 do what you actually think because the internet doesn't have much room for nuance. But equally, it is not that they are writing a thing that they fundamentally don't believe in order that people will hate on it and they will therefore make their revenue targets based on the, the page view, their page view targets uh, based on the fact that enough people hate them to click on it. Like, that's not a thing that exists. Interesting. Really, I would argue. You may have a different opinion on that. I think... I Okay, so I think that... There are controversial columnists that are hired because they're controversial. And a really good example of this is Substack. They went after specifically controversial columnists at the beginning of the year. They have explained that they have a rating system of fire emojis. It goes up to five, I think. (laughs) And they created like a formula based on Twitter followers, 
and a bunch of other metrics that they were sort of like watching these people with and assigned them fire emoji ratings and then went after those people and paid them advances in like the hundreds of thousands of dollar range to steal them from wherever they were. So okay. we we know that like there are people who look at someone who I won't name, but I think we can all know who I'm talking about, who has been ranting and raving about, you know, how Tucker Carlson is a patriot and how that's actually the true left. And they've been going at it for five or six hours, to the point where a normal person would be told to log off by someone who cared about them in their real life. But this person has not been told that. And this person is just going. This person is just tweeting and tweeting and tweeting like they have some sort of psychological disorder. Once again, I could be talking about anybody. And there are people (laughs) who will look at that person and be like, ooh, I want to get that heavily unmedicated human being on my website to turn this content into something that I can make money off of. And I think I think that is real. I, I think there are people in the world who who know that that like in the columnists, the writers might totally be up their own asshole and believe what they're saying. But I do think there are people in the media industry who are like, ooh, that person has a great, totally unhinged personality disorder that I can manipulate for money. Like that is real. Okay, but here's my question because I don't believe that anyone, such the person you're talking about, most of the people who follow them and consume their stuff don't hate them. I would say that's true, yes. There may be a a small number who are able to do that, but basically, eventually, if everyone hates you, no one reads your stuff. That is true. Like, that's that's kind of how it works. And so if you have a controversial economist, they're controversial because, and and like Piers Morgan was always the best at this, they're extremely good at finding the inflection. Let's talk about Piers Morgan because I think your entire premise needs to survive the Piers Morgan test. Okay. You're saying that Piers Morgan is liked by other human beings. Like you're saying that yes. people read Piers Morgan. You're saying that pe- <laughs> you're saying that people read Pierce Morgan and are like, ooh, that's a good idea. Yes. That's fair. I would agree with that. I f- I feel like I need to point out like 46% of the UK voted for Boris Johnson, almost 50% voted for Donald Trump twice. Like, you know, there are an awful lot of people in most countries that disagree violently with most people if that makes sense like most people disagree with everyone else all the time and so there's always this like constant conflict and when you get someone like Piers Morgan who can find the inflection point the 60 40 40 60 52 48 line of where he's gonna make most people on most sides most engage with what he's saying and it's not necessarily hating on it it's sometimes just like being uh, effusive about it then you end up with a really powerful kind of like thing that you can go a well that you can go back to and back to and back to but he's not writing it in order that like the strategy is not hey the strategy is not really ending the strategy is to say the thing that triggers the conversation which some people are going to hate it and some people are going to like it but if everyone only hated it it wouldn't do anything i see what you're saying like you have to have a base and you have to go right up to the line and you sort of have to like chuck nonsense bullshit over that line to make like to get people riled up yeah, exactly. And there is like an element of that to it. But then once you go away from the columnists, and this kind of goes to the, to the, the, the series that inspired this entire thing, because everyone then assumes that that is the strategy for everything. They're just trying to make you mad. And it's like, they're tricking you. They're making you mad. They're making you feel this. They're making you think this. They're pissed about whatever it is. And the reality is that's generally not the case. So this specific are you, one. Are you talking about the Shrek review? Well, I mean, the Shrek review, but the most recent one that happened again, because it happened, it happened again. Okay, so let's, uh, let's talk about the guy at The Guardian. Okay, so what, what, what happened now? Because I actually don't know if I saw the most recent one. Um, well, the big thing here is, okay, 
so the Shrek Guardian review, which was uh, in yeah. May, in May, in in May. Okay, and then the Willy Wonka review, which was just the other week. Wait, okay, okay. So first, we're, we're talking about Scott Tobias. Uh, I that's funny. I didn't. Are we? Wait, are we? Are you not talking about Scott Tobias? No, because the other review that people hated was by an entirely different guy. There's another guy at the Guardian who does like insane movie reviews where he do- like he shits on a movie that people like. No, because that's not what they do. Okay, they shit on Shrek. They shit on the Willy Wonka Gene Wilder version. And the other stuff they review in it are generally relatively positive. What they do is every week they go and find a, a movie that's got like a big anniversary for 50 years or 10 years or 25 years and review it and re-review it and see how does it hold up. So, for example, they re-reviewed Requiem for a Dream and said, wow, I didn't think this was going to hold up. And it really does. Hmm. Uh, and they basically go back and look at old movies and decide, do they hold up or not? I think that's a great principle uh, to build a a series from or a podcast perhaps and we're talking about the guardian the guardian as a whole is doing this this is sort of like their film criticism strategy at the moment yeah well no like they, they do obviously their main film stuff but this is just a regular series uh but and yeah it's not the same person who does it and it's but yeah it's just something that they do this is blowing my mind i only thought this was like so okay for, for first a little backstory I wrote about the the Guardian Shrek review. It's by Scott Tobias, and it was it, it's titled Shrek at Twenty: An Unfunny and Overrated Low for Blockbuster Animation. Now, in my Garbage Day piece, I was kind of rude, and I was like, "It was written by some guy named Scott Tobias." I received several emails from people being like, "Ryan Scott Tobias is a very famous <laughs> is a very famous film critic who has been around for a while. He uh, was the film editor of the AV Club. He has contributed to NPR. He's like a big deal." That said, many of the film critics that messaged me to tell me that also all agreed, like, we genuinely don't understand, like, what this guy's deal is now, because he's just, if you go to his page on The Guardian, all of the reviews he's written in the last, like, year are AI at 20, Spielberg's misunderstood epic remains his darkest movie yet, uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves at 30, a joyless hit that should have stayed in the 90s. And what does the one below Robin Hood say? Raiders of the Lost Ark at 40, Indiana Jones's first adventure remains his greatest. Sounds like a pretty positive review. Yeah, and above it is The Rocketeer at 30, the glorious throwback flop that should have been a hit, which I agree, The Rocketeer is my favorite movie as a kid. Yeah, and then also, in in April, he wrote about The Howling, which I've never heard of, but it was a positive review. Uh, Thief in March, he gave a positive review. Mento in March, he gave a positive review. Silence of the Lambs in February, he gave a positive review. Traffic at 20, he gave a positive review. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, he gave a positive okay, review. Okay, okay, I get your point. I get your point. Yeah, he had a weird string of like doing a bunch of bad movies, but I would also say that's probably because he hit like June and there were a load of big action blockbusters from 30 years ago that came out. And that, yeah, probably don't yeah. Also, you just said the Rocketeer thing. He was right on the Rocketeer. Like, he is right on the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer was one yeah. of my favorite movies of all time. I love the Rocketeer. Yeah. It's a perfect movie from start to finish. But I think this whole thing kind of exposes a really weird problem with the way the internet is constructed. Yeah. Which is you published a story called like 20 years later, Shrek is shit. <laughs> and then you write <laughs> it on your website. And it's the Guardian and the Guardian publishes it. And then a bunch of people are like, why did you write this? And the thing with the internet is there isn't a great answer to that. Like, it's like, why did you spend the time to write about this popular movie being horrible? One that like no one was really arguing about. There was no like, like no one is like Shrek is the greatest movie of all time, except for like a, a kind of a couple like younger people on Tumblr or something. But like, okay, but why do you have to only write about things that other people are talking about? I'm not, I'm not saying you have to. I'm saying that there is something strange about the way the internet is currently constructed, though. 
where that is the reaction you get if you do that. And there's like this entire culture of like fandom and like relevancy and like a viral news cycle that is happening at all times. And when you take something that is outside of that cycle, like Shrek is shit and I hate it, (laughs) and you stick it into that cycle, people go berserk. And I don't think it's the fault of the film critic. And I don't think it's the, I think it's something weirder should do with like the way we think about things now, like the way our brains function. I mean, I think it's the, because people only view the internet through one platform. They view it through their favorite platform. So as a result, you view the entire internet through, let's say, Twitter. You don't go to The Guardian regularly to check on, oh, what's their weekly review of this thing? And as a result, you're like, I can't believe I'm seeing this thing again. It's weirdly, it's exactly five weeks later. I guess they're publishing this on these reviews of movies they hate on a five-week cycle for some mad reason, rather (laughs) than being like, oh, there's probably a bunch I haven't seen. Um, And instead, yeah, they're looking at these and going, yeah, I've seen this on a five-week cycle. The last one was about a movie I liked that they hated. This one's about a movie I liked that they hated. That must be the entire thing. And it's not. It's just a normal series, which, yeah, is perfectly legit and kind of interesting. And I, I find it just absolutely fascinating that people have lost this thing and, and have determined, like, The Guardian are running a strategy. It's a complicated strategy to say that they hate films that you like and they're going to do that and nothing else. And that's their that's their entire strategy for their film section. And it's fucking insane. You Wait, you, you mean you don't believe that a, like... 100-year-old newspaper has decided to pivot into ruining their credibility on a regular basis for Twitter clicks? Yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, they just, they went after Pearl Harbor. So, you know. I mean, that movie is not good. That movie is really not good. Um, No, they make a good point. So, okay, well, clearly, okay, I, I sort of have this feeling where it's like, if enough people on the internet react a certain way, even if that way doesn't make any sense, there clearly has to be some sort of like UX or design element that's making that happen, right? Like we know that this reaction happens over and over and over again. And the newspaper, they're not doing anything different. They're just doing what they've always done, which is like, okay, we have an anniversary coming up. Like, let's get like a really big film critic to review Shrek. Okay, that's a great idea. Cool. Why does the out- why does the outrage happen then? And then why does the conspiratorial thinking about the outrage happen? So why does the outrage happen? A, it doesn't happen. I I refuse to believe that anyone is genuinely in their soul angry that someone has been mean about okay. Shrek. Okay, uh-uh, hold on. Because we know a reporter, her name is Elle Hunt, and we did an entire segment on this podcast about her several months ago when she became a global trending topic for having a tweet about the movie Alien. Yes. And she received death threats, she received harassment, abuse... I don't believe that anyone is actually that mad about it. But I think people are mad. I think you're underestimating how angry over stupid shit people get. I think I think there is a, probably a core of people who are super mad, but I guarantee the vast majority of people saying, I can't believe The Guardian's done this, were doing it because it was a fun tweet to send and they'd seen someone else send a similar tweet and it had got 15 retweets and they thought they had a slightly funnier phrasing that might have got the 30 retweets. Okay, well, I, I feel like I gotta, I gotta put this out here because this is something that I, I, I learned a couple of years ago and it's something I think about a lot and maybe our audience doesn't know this. Um, I've, I've met like a couple like really interesting people who work in security for media companies over the years and one that both Luke and I know quite well He had this great quote that he used to say all the time, which is that the most dangerous thing a reporter in 2018 or 19 or whatever he said it was could do isn't go to an active war zone. It's be a woman who publishes an article on the internet that says ketchup is better than mustard. 
because the yes. the 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 un, the misunderstanding I think from a lot of people is that oh it's just trivial bullshit like nobody cares nothing's bad nothing bad's gonna happen to you and it's like nobody's gonna go kill Scott Tobias over his Shrek review and it's like well maybe <laughs> like because people on the internet are crazy and like also like the systems that all I don't want to go Adam Curtis voice but like the systems that are moving the the systems that are moving the that very was, tech- this is uncanny it's so good hold on the systems that are moving the very Hold on. The, the systems that are moving the very tectonic plates of the way our information travels are causing us to loathe and hate and become paranoid of each other. I think that is true. Like, that is happening. And I think that, like, if maybe it won't happen for Scott Tobias because he's a middle-aged man, but it will happen to someone like Elle Hunt, who was a young woman, and she tweets, like, she doesn't like, I don't even remember what the tweet was, but it was like, she doesn't like aliens or she did like aliens. I can't remember. But people were yeah. really mad at her. I, no, I think a, a, some people are really mad at her, but I think what also happens is that it is the fuel of that. And there's always a kernel of anger about basically anything you do, fine, whatever. Uh, but the, the, the fuel for it and the way that it goes out and then finds all the other people in the world who could possibly be mad at it. Because basically, if she tweets that, uh, or Scott Tobias tweets that, I don't know how many followers they have, let's say 50,000. Okay, maybe they've got 50 followers who are super mad about it. Uh, and those 50 followers of those five will say, I'm mad about this. And you go, okay, some people are mad about it. But that's not where the internet works. So what instead happens is that a load of other people, they don't really give a shit. Mm, yeah. Would say, I see that there's an easy way to do a thing, get some faves, get some retweets, I'll go for it. And not even a huge amount, but they do it. And then a bunch of people do it. And then suddenly it spreads out. And rather than finding the five people who could be bothered of her of their following to actually turn around and be like, I hate this, uh, it finds the 5,000 people in the world who are all mad about it. And suddenly it turns into this like incredibly intense thing because a load of people were like, bored and getting mad about something that they didn't really care about. That is true. I also think that internet clout in general has become so warped over time that there's the expectation that if someone has gone viral, it's because they meant to do it cynically. Like there is no, there's no assumption. Like there, like ten years ago, there was the assumption that if you went viral, it was an accident. It's like, oh, Psy didn't mean for Gangnam Style to become the number one song in the world. He just like made a weird, quirky song, and it happened. Or like the Double Rainbow guy didn't mean to say Double Rainbow in the exact way that people would love and share. It just happened because no one can understand that. And then that changed. Right. I think it changed because of Trump, to be honest. I think it, it changed the way we understood virality and like playing with the systems that control the internet. And now it's flipped and gone the other way where it's like, if you go viral right now, people assume without any proof that you did it on purpose in the exact way you did it. So it's like, if you become a trending topic and everyone's mad at you, everyone's like, oh, you did this on purpose because you must yeah. have, because how could you do it by accident? Yeah, why would you do it by accident? You know, one wants to go viral by accident. Everyone only goes viral intentionally and deliberately. Exactly. Yeah. Just like those uh, is... the, the teenagers running your your British uh, gimmick accounts. Exactly. I mean, I don't want to call you out on this, but it's it's not that they're finding all memes they like and sharing them because they like them. It's they're specifically going after all memes and resharing them in the exact way to gain followers. When what if we interviewed them and we found out the opposite was true? What if we found out they were just totally earnest? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably more earnestness in some of this stuff than than we think. Particularly with, particularly I think with younger people, because I don't know that they. Oh God, this is going to sound incredibly condescending, but I don't know that they necessarily have a a line between I am doing this to go viral and I am doing this because I want to. In the same way, like they are, they auto optimize. If that makes sense, 
Like, say, like, say, like, continue. Say, say, uh, say some more. So, 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 Facebook. When did you first use Facebook? Two thousand seven, right? I I switched around two thousand six, two thousand seven. Yeah. Okay. So two thousand six, you suddenly had a thing that told you how much it liked parts of your personality, and it told you that if you were yeah. talking about ska music, people really liked that, and it told you if you're talking about uh. I don't know many one of the any one of the other PLC personality everyone hates. Uh, it didn't like that. I I, sc- I screwed up my Facebook right right away early because I went in and I only liked bands like Creed and Alter Bridge <laughs> and like basically like new metal bands like uh, POD. I, actually, a lot of them were kind of Christian new metal bands. I don't know why I did that, but it screwed up my algorithm for like years. Okay, but at that point you were like what 16 17 yeah uh, now imagine if when you were 11 you were being told by an algorithm which parts of your personality were good and bad and you had like hard numbers on it yeah i would become deranged and i would yeah. start to view my personality as something that i would change depending on how i wanted to like gain clout on the internet exactly so i think that you end up with an awful lot of young people who are doing stuff where they're doing a, a gimmick account uh and they're like no i'm just this is what people like therefore it's good and i think that, that that line has disappeared a little bit that people don't necessarily understand that there's a the gap there well there should be a gap there there's probably not now that is interesting you do sound old saying that but that is interesting yes. and i think you're right <laughs> <laughs> i cool. think you're very right uh so i guess like to top it off to sort of like wrap this this investigation up i will say that i think you're right to a degree but i think i'm also right to a degree so i guess my la- my last question is like this is clearly bad, and clearly nobody's happy. The columnists who are sharing dumb things, thinking that like they're visionaries, they're probably not particularly happy when they start trending. I know that the guy who wrote the grilling piece was not happy with me, so clearly like they they're aware of this. But then also like I'm sure that like the people who are getting mad over nothing aren't very happy either. It's not like a good experience. So like, how do you fix this? Well, because most people involved with it have correctly gained thirty retweets for their mild dunk that everyone else was dunking and they've gone away happy so actually 95 percent of the people in the story have benefited from it but not in a mean not in a like a long-term way not in like a meaningful way no of course not was the internet none of this lasts but, but also, what if it what did I, but what if it could luke but also there is another kind of element to this which is that the people who are there saying oh, they're actually just doing this for hate clicks are doing the same thing again like they're not doing it for the most part to like be like, hey guys, I don't know if you realize this. They're doing it so people go like, yeah, you are smarter than these other people, and I'm smarter than you. So I'm going to signal boost you to make it also seem like I'm smart. Like this whole thing is it's it turtles the whole way down. So it's everyone. So what you're saying is everyone on the internet is acting in bad faith earnestly. I mean, I think what's worse about it is that you then get another group of people who look at this stuff and go so hard into it. They start entire podcasts just to talk about this. When really, it's meaningless. Oh, boy. <laughs> so we're part of this? Are we once yeah. again part of the very cycle that we wish to analyze and, di- and dissect? I think me maybe. <sighs> well, in that case, I mean, hey, Luke, are you consuming any content to stay sane this week? Yeah, I'm just I'm just consuming the internet. Um, 
Christ, what have I got? Hang on one second. Um, football, right? Yeah, I'm pretty much just consuming football. Is that it's been, right? It's been, yeah, it's been good. <laughs> do you think you do you think you're going to win and do you feel comfortable putting that out into the ethers into saying that do you feel comfortable i think we've got about a one in three chance of winning i think we've got a good chance of getting through the semi-final against denmark uh and if we get through the the semi-final whoever we are come up against i think it's basically a coin flip so yeah maybe that maybe, is maybe, maybe we'll win that is as optimistic as I've ever heard you talk about football, actually. So that's I can't, talk, I can't talk about optimistically. Like, oh god, it, it is a very. It's been a very long time. Like the song about it, the coming home song, has a whole bit in it about how it's been thirty years of hurt. Uh, anyway, it's now been fifty-five years of hurt since that was written twenty-five years ago. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is is dark. Um, that actually, that song, the the re-release they did for France '98, uh, opens with. Gareth Southgate missing the penalty, and Gareth Southgate is now the manager. It's all coming full circle. It's oh, all very bleak. That yeah. is bleak. But well, you know, if it if it comes off, it'll everyone will be very happy, and that'll be nice. That would be really great for you. I think. I think you deserve it. It's been a tough year and a half, and I think you deserve to have your country win the Euros. Yeah. All right. How about you? What content have you consuming to stay sane? Last week I talked about it, and this week I have finished it. I read from uh, House of X, Power of X by Jonathan Hickman all the way through <laughs> the Dawn of X kind of phase of X-Men comics, and then I capped it off with X of Swords. It is tremendous. There's a lot of stuff I didn't like because, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff, and like it's written by a million different people. And one of the problems with reading it the way I did, which is through a trade paperback, is that you start to think like, oh, it's building to one thing but it's not. It's building to something else entirely. And so a lot of the plot threads that I was the most interested in actually didn't pay off by the end of the big crossover event. It would almost be like if you got really interested in um, the quantum realm and assumed that was going to be the major plot point. Oh, wait, it was of Endgame. Uh, what is a good example <laughs> of this? I guess it would be like... Oh, if you got really invested in the idea that the Soul Stone was in Wakanda. Which I did, yes. And yeah. I, I think I have this problem in general with this sort of stuff. But yeah, there was like a bunch of threads in, in the X-Men comics that I was really interested in that sort of all fell apart. But it was super cool and I can not recommend it highly enough if you're like someone like me who hasn't really read X-Men comics since like Civil War, which was wow. in 2006 or something, and you want to jump into it, this is exactly the place to do it. Um, I, I've, dev I've devoured it. It's great. So highly recommend. Cool. Cool. Sounds cool. good. Uh, speaking of people reviewing old movies and then getting dunked <laughs> on for it, we have a new franchise for post post credits. We do we do? It is the Matrix. It is without yeah. a doubt the best movie we've watched so far <laughs> for post post credits. It really is. It's 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 astounding how how different it is to watch a good movie versus watch a movie about cars. <laughs> Yeah, I slightly don't want to go back to the old model of this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really interesting experience. Um, but definitely head over to patreon.com slash the content minds to check that out. Uh, I'll be, by, by the time you hear this, all of our past episodes will be paywalled back up. So if you want to check them out, you throw us a couple bucks a month. Uh, we have a discount for yearly subscribers. And uh, I'm working on building a coupon system for garbage day readers versus uh, content mind subscribers. Unfortunately, uh, Patreon doesn't allow coupons because Patreon is a horrible website with a terrible content management system and awful tagging <laughs> features. And I hate that website. But Substack does have a bunch of cool coupons and discount options. So I will be linking those together to make it a little more more seamless and uh yeah we'll see you next week um good luck euros 
team <laughs> from the UK. Cool. Bye, everyone.